Welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health, embodied spirituality, and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today's show is brought to you by Costa Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who's integrated different somatic practices, including rolfing into his work. You can learn more about Cosper's work at cosperscafidi.com. He's also my rolfer, so I highly recommend him. Today's guest is Abby Hand. Abby is a preconception health consultant based in beautiful Austin, Texas. She founded Hand Wellness in 2019, which specializes in helping women and couples prepare for pregnancy through positive lifestyle change and health optimization. Abby guides clients using biometric tracking and epigenetic data and incorporates current research, traditional medicine, and natural philosophies into her coaching. She believes optimizing the health of both parents prior to conception helps build a strong families and communities, creating a healthier, more resilient world. Amen to that. Additionally, Abby is a registered nurse with a master's of science in nursing from the University of Texas. Her graduate studies focus on maternity nursing and public health. She's also an Imperion certified epigenetics coach, functional medicine certified health coach via the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, and a student of Dr. Aviva Ram's Herbal Medicine for Women's Health Program. More importantly, she's the mother to an amazing little boy and partner to an incredible husband. The Han family, including three dogs, splits their time between their home in Austin and Texas Hill Country, where they hone their hunting skills and work to restore the sensitive ecosystems. They believe personal health cannot be truly optimized without also addressing the environmental health. Abby is happiest when she is tromping around in the woods looking for plants. Good to see you, Abby. <laughs> Good to see you, Michael. <laughs> Excited to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, I love that about your family. That's so cool. <laughs> Especially the three dogs, as you you know, I'm very fond oh, yes. of dogs. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, the preconception planning, working with pregnant women, working with pregnant families, really, is and the way you do it from a more natural, holistic, epigenetics perspective is very, very unique. And I'm curious, like, what led you down that path to kind of explore the non-traditional approaches to preconception pregnancy and, and birth? Um, well, that's a, a very long answer. Um, but the short answer is that, um, you know, I spent some time in the perinatal space um, in the conventional medical world. I spent time as a nurse in the more functional integrative world. Um, I didn't have a great experience in the conventional labor and delivery space. Mm. Um, and then I learned a lot in the functional space um, about women's health. And I focused on my own health and um, made a lot of progress there. I learned a lot and then had my own pregnancy and kind of approached it from a very different mentality, more of the holistic, integrative, functional um, perspective. And I had a much different experience than what I was anticipating. Um, mm. And it, it was a very positive experience and it was very healing and it was very different from the education that I got and um, the infrastructure that I played into when I was working as a nurse in labor and delivery. Um, so it just, it really blew my mind um, that we can do this differently. And also just listening to women, especially my friends, my cohort, talking about, you know, they would go to their provider and say, we're ready to start um, trying for a family. What do I need to do? And the common answer is, you know, start taking a prenatal vitamin, 
maybe get some more exercise. The, the recommendations are just very vague. They're very general. Um, and my interpretation, granted this brings in some of my own stuff, bump it up against my own stuff, um, was that we don't want to tell women too much because we don't want to overwhelm them. It felt very paternalistic and, yeah, yeah. Um, and just really out of touch from what we know and especially what we know women are capable of. So I wanted to really shift that paradigm and really say, yes, like there are a bunch of things that you can do if you want to really focus in and hone in your healthy habits before getting pregnant, because we know that your health at the time of conception and before you get pregnant really does have an impact on how your pregnancy plays out, how labor plays out, especially that postpartum period and, and how, how you not only approach it, but how it impacts you and your family and the development and the bond of that, um, that new person in your life, especially for new families. So I don't know if that totally answered your question, but well, it's I a mix of one. Yeah, please. Yeah. So I definitely want to hear like your preconception planning, how it's different than a conventional approach, which is like prenatal vitamins and exercise. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. However, before we get there, tell me if you don't mind sharing, like, so you, you know, you were brought up in the conventional system went through your studies, but you decided to go a different route. What did you learn on that route? And what, like, oh, what new things came into your mind? That like, wow, this, did I not learn? Cause I'm interested in the comparing contrast between the conventional system and what you call the integrated or holistic, or maybe even indigenous, because a lot of this yeah. is indigenous wisdom. Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, looking back on my first experience, which was my conventional traditional medicine, sorry, traditional in the, in the sense of like the current paradigm. Yeah. Um, I was a labor and delivery nurse in a, um, in a hospital that, it's not a charity hospital, but it definitely works with demographics that are lower SES and maybe don't have insurance. Um, and that really, I did not vibe well with it. We definitely had a conflict of values. I'll just put it at that. Um, and I was there because I was considering the who wanted to be flight nurses. They were like that high, um, high adrenaline kind of mentality. Um, and so I was really at odds and I didn't necessarily click well with some of the other nurses or doctors. Um, you know, those things that maybe you have or have not heard where doctors are um, scheduling C-sections because there's a basketball game on or coming in and saying, I'm going to break your water and not actually getting consent from patient. Like that kind of stuff just yeah. felt really icky to me. Um, <clears throat> and so I didn't last there very long. Um, was not my ideal. So that's where I was coming from when I, um, got pregnant, um, for myself and, um, was working with a midwife and had all these ideas of what this was going to look like. And it was totally different. It was much more a team-based approach. Um, it was, you know, this is what I recommend you can do it or not do it. Um, and it was just, it was a very empowering experience. Um, and then, um, you know, I had planned to give birth in a birthing center with my midwife and that didn't happen. 
I ended up having to go to the hospital and be induced. And that was really difficult for me. Mm. Um, until, until I went into labor and then, you know, you don't think about these things you are just focusing on labor. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful birth. It was so healing. And it really taught me that you, there is this intersection. There's this balance that can be sought. You can have a beautiful, you can have the delivery, the labor that you want, um, in a hospital. And at that point I was so like over here on one side that like birthing in the hospital was bad that it just leads to all these unnecessary interventions. And yes, that can be the case. Mm-hmm. However, you also can have a beautiful healing experience in the hospital with people who just have amazing energy. And it was, it was a truly healing experience. Um, you, you said healing a few times. I'm wondering what, what's that mean for you? For me, I think I really had some PTSD working, or working as a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they treated me as a nurse was not ideal. And the way that patients were treated, I did not think was, um, appropriate in some situations. And I won't go into that because every hospital is different. Um, and I don't want to further the stigma that hospital births are bad. Um, I think that the lesson that I learned there was that you really need to have a care team who listens to you and respects you. And you need to be able to advocate for yourself. And if you can't, you need to pull in a doula or a midwife or someone you need to have, you need to create a team of support people to help you get the birth that you desire. And you know what, if you want to have a conventional hospital birth with an epidural and all the interventions, no judgment. If that's what you feel is best for you, then that is best for you. And, and don't think anymore on it. Right. What's the difference between a midwife and a doula? <clears throat> So a midwife is uh, a trained medical professional. They are able to um, kind of prescribe and diagnose and treat as a doctor would, as a physician would. Um, And a doula is more of an advocacy position. They're really well experienced and, you know, what does normal labor look like? Um, What to expect? Um, They're recommending an intervention. This is what that means. Um, These are the things that could result from this that you need to be aware of. They really help with the advocacy, informed consent, and also just like being a a solid person for the woman and her partner or her support people um, to let them like get a drink of water, catch a break, just like retain their humanity, you know? (laughs) Nice, Well, it's interesting because I mentioned indigenous and I would imagine like, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years ago, there was a series of females who played various roles like that. Right. And, and unfortunately, it would have been like more of a community thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can speak to that as well because Please. I got to be, I got to be the doula for my childhood friend Aww. in the hospital and her delivering OB was our other best friend. Uh-huh. And it was, it was the most incredible experience. It was in a hospital here in Austin um, and we spent, you know, a couple hours, just the three of us in the bathroom while my girlfriend was laboring. And it was just, it was the thing I have ever done. And it was, it was how I feel labor should be. It should be surrounded by people that you love and you trust who have, you know, your best at heart, all of those things that, you know, that's kind of how 
it's like the antithesis of what medicalized birth has become. Yeah. Um, and, you know, during COVID, um, we saw a spike in women. I won't say a spike. That seems like a bad thing. We saw um, just this huge increase in women seeking midwifery care. Um, they were afraid to go to the hospitals. The hospitals, you know, were dealing with the information that they had on hand. And so regulations were changing rapidly and women didn't know what to expect. And so that uncertainty really led to an increase in midwifery care, which was amazing because- That's good you know, the evidence supports that midwifery care actually reduces interventions and complications in labor. So, you know, COVID and the pandemic has been really scary for a lot of people. um, And also some good has definitely come out of it in terms of how we're approaching things. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully that continues. Hopefully we don't necessarily go back to the old ways. Right. They're not really old, but more recent ways. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you had mentioned in the beginning, you know, differentiating kind of your approach and you characterize the conventional approach as like, oh, go take your prenatal vitamins and maybe get some exercise. What does your approach to preconception planning look like? And, and I want to highlight the fact that it's not just working with the women. She has a right. male partner. It's also working with the male partner as well. And can you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, and again, this is, this is not to by any way diminish you know, working with your OB-GYN or your Mm -hmm. care team, medical providers, what they are doing is important and it is the standard of care. However, I do believe that we can do more before we get pregnant. Um, and that does, um, that is important for both the woman and the man. Um, there is the three months prior to conception called, uh, spermogenesis. That's when sperm is actually created. And, um, certain medications we are finding um, do have a negative impact on the health of the child. Uh, And those medications we believe currently are THC, cannabis, um, metformin, um, statins. Those are three big ones that um, really need to be looked at in the preconception period and, and maybe find alternatives or use lifestyle so that those um, substances aren't necessary, especially things like metformin and statins, like, are there things that we can do in terms of lifestyle interventions? So we just don't have to worry about that. And then being really thoughtful about, you know, when we start trying to have families, you know, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. And so really looking and women and families are having children later in life. We're pushing it back because we're, we're just focusing on other things. And we have the capacity to do that right now, which is amazing. Um, and as we age, our fertility changes, our health changes. Um, and so there are things that we can do to a support fertility, B support our own health. So that when we do get pregnant, we have healthier pregnancies. We have fewer pregnancy symptoms. Labor is hopefully less complicated. Um, and obviously setting a good foundation for the baby's health for lifelong health. Like how awesome is that just by taking some work for like six, three months, six months, a year, however you feel is important to really get to a point of health optimization. And why I'm so passionate about this is because that's where I was. Like I had the opportunity to get to that point and 
Um, full disclosure, I have autoimmune disease. I have lupus. Um, I was able to get into remission. Um, and it was, it was a wild ride because, right. I was working with a midwife, um, who was amazing and really trusted my own instinct. Um, but not a lot is known scientifically, medically, clinically about what happens to women who have lupus, but don't really have lupus. Like, what does that look like in pregnancy? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, and thankfully I found a really good care team who was willing to just monitor and respond, not react and just yeah. see where things went. And it was amazing. I had such a great experience and I had such a healthy pregnancy. My blood pressure and my blood sugar was lower than a normal life. Like things, my body just really liked being pregnant. And I think that Maybe my genetics have a large part to do with that, but I think it also has to do with the fact that I really intentionally focused on my health before I got pregnant. Cause I have, you know, I've got all, all those weird epigenetic stuff that I like to look at. Um, so I was able to really hone in on some things um, and making sure that I didn't have any nutrient deficiencies. That's a big thing that I like to focus on. And that's where the epigenetics comes in, right? Um, looking at, and not just the, the big ones that we talk about, like the NTHFR and folate, that's a huge one. We even talk about that in mainstream nursing education, the MTHFR or the, the motherfucker gene, as, as we like to talk about it. Um, it has a really big impact on folate in pregnancy. And if it's not corrected or accounted for, we see things like spina bifida. And that's why we've mm -hmm. had this um, huge public health push to supplement with folic acid, which like, if you don't have the genetics to appropriately handle that, mm -hmm. not only are you not addressing the folate issue, you're not, you also set yourself up to not be able to process that folic acid. So you're setting yourself up for potential issues downstream as well. So fully support these public health movements. Yeah. Um, they obviously do wonderful things and we really need to look at the individual persons and how they are going to respond to these interventions and, and take a much more focused approach. Yeah. A lot of the institutions and systems seem to do one size fits all. Right. As opposed to recognizing the, in this case, by individuality. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And some of the other things that we look at are, um, choline is a big one, vitamin A, there are a lot of people have, um, they don't have the capacity to convert um, the vegetable form of vitamin A to the active form that we mm. find in like animal proteins. And that's, that's a huge thing. And uh, clients who have vegetarian or vegan diets, like really, really digging in and, and looking at those things that are so important for healthy development of the fetus and, and, and of mom too, right? Like that little, that little baby is sucking all your nutrients out. So yeah. you both got to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So there's a couple of dietary things that you're very clear on. And I would imagine do testing on to see where the, the mother is at. Um, and I'd like you to also talk a little bit more about the father too, because, okay, there's, there's three medications you're like, Ooh, yeah. Be, aware, be, be mindful of those because they can have effect on sperm production or health of the sperm, I should say. Right. So what other things might you look at for the father and what other things might you look at for the mother as a preconception so really, planning? 
yeah, it's kind of all the same things, right? I mean, we're going to look at nutrition for both parties. Nutrition Mm -hmm. has a huge impact on um, offspring, we found, Um, especially overnutrition um, can have a huge effect on um, metabolic um, processes for later in life for the child. Um, Also, Oh, I had a bunch of things lined up and they just kind of <laughs> disappeared. Um, okay. But yeah, nutrition is huge. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that fitness and activity level has just such a positive impact on, um, on kiddos. Um, and what might you recom- yeah, what might you recommend for a pre-pregnant woman and even a pre-pregnant man can't be pregnant, but you know, preaches out. Yeah in terms of fitness for both of them, both for the men, so his sperm is healthy as the woman, so her whole system is healthy, but including her eggs. Fitness, I mean, that's a difficult one because I'm not a personal trainer, um, mm. not a physiologist at all. Um, so really working with just increasing movement and activity. You know, we okay. know that sedentary mm-hmm. lifestyle has a negative impact yeah. on, on our health. Um, and that translates to our children, not only yeah in terms of epigenetic factors, uh, physiological factors, but also role modeling, right? This is all about like improving your health, changing, adapting positive lifestyle behaviors, not only for yourself, but also role modeling for your children and your future family and for your communities. This isn't just about, you know, your family unit, it's about a global movement. Yeah. Right. So what kind of what I'm hearing you say is not necessarily, oh, go do CrossFit or go do SoulFit, but go for a whole walk. Yeah. Walking is <laughs> a gateway a drug to other exercise. Yeah. Start Some moving. Find something. Yeah, yeah. Find something that really vibes with you. Yeah. Um, I'm in Texas. One of the best things that I like to do, or I did, it's been a little hectic, <laughs> is um, country swing and two-step. I oh, love nice. to go social dancing. And Okay, cool. You, you can work up, work up a sweat there. Just go find yeah. something that is fun that you yeah. enjoy doing that you want to go do that makes you happy, maybe burn some calories, but mostly just brings you joy and reduces stress, right? Stress is also one of those huge things that we need to work on with both mom and dad, um, just because we know then how influential stress can be on physical, emotional, and mental health and relationships, right? Yeah. So actually speaking of that, besides physical activity to reduce stress, what else might you recommend to a father and a father and mother to be in terms of stress management tactics, tools, Um, techniques? Yeah, I do. I do some mindfulness work. Um, uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of just inherent in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, um, beyond that, I do try to refer out to people who that is their wheelhouse. Um, I will touch on it. I will go over some of the basics. Um, and most people get interested in it and they do research on their own. They find stuff that they vibe with. Um, and if not, then I do reach out to other practitioners who can kind of help them on that journey because that in itself is just like its own thing. <laughs> well, cause you, it is interesting because you mentioned the stress, even the stress between a married couple or a couple, they don't necessarily have to be married. You know, we know just in terms of the physiology of the individuals that yeah. have an effect on themselves, but 
the baby in utero once once it's conceived. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pick up on all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, stress in pregnancy and yeah, reducing stress helps stabilize yeah. blood sugar, helps stabilize uh, blood pressure. Blood pressure. Yeah everything you know anything that we can do to have a just a calm and happy and in touch pregnancy um like really connecting with your partner and connecting with the baby like that is huge i think that um a lot of women perceive labor as like i'm doing all this work but babies right in there they're doing all this work too so really it's a partnership and it's the two of you working together to do this huge amazing life-changing thing and so that is another area that I do like to talk about is just like that mindset of pregnancy I was gonna get to the mindset yeah good yeah yeah yeah, because that is that is huge um so yeah my focuses are definitely like preparing the body preparing the mind and the mindset um and then navigating the landscape is a huge part too. Like, you know, what are my options? There are so many different directions that you can go. I don't even know what my, what my choices are. Um, and kind of that advocacy piece there too. And then kind of what I touched on is um, referring to other appropriate specialists. So yeah. that would be, you know, anyone with trauma surrounding pregnancy mm. um, or, or the postpartum area. I really advocate for um, seeing a reproductive therapist or a reproductive counselor specifically um, who just has a better framework for, for counseling in that area. Um, I also really recommend that women specifically do physical therapy, whether mm-hmm. that's general, just for you know posture, that's huge, especially in pregnancy as your body is changing and your posture is changing and you're hurting all the time. You don't have to, right? <laughs> Use good body mechanics. Um, and then also, I think it's a really good idea to do um, pelvic floor physical therapy before mm-hmm. getting pregnant. Like really, really addressing anything related to pregnancy and, and preconception and conception itself. Like how do we improve fertility? How do we get the body just in alignment and working, moving how it should? And then the last one that I really push is, um, dental health. Yeah. Like really, really get in on your oral health. Um, cause that has just a huge impact on your general health that we don't Mm -hmm. talk about. Um, but specifically in, um, in pregnancy, right. You've got all of these changes to your physiology. Um, you're more, you're at higher risk for dental issues and having them, cause complications in pregnancy everything wow. is connected right yeah oh, it makes complete sense but literally i've never thought about dental health and pregnancy yeah about dental health like heart disease and all those, those yeah, things but exactly. that's really yeah yeah interesting yeah so i have two other questions for you more than yep. that but two but basically <laughs> you know, we've mindset and we've hit nutrition and things like that and you talked about biomechanics and i'm curious on the biomechanics in terms of uh, birth itself I, you know, because in the hospitals, I would imagine in most cases, the women's legs are up and the doctor team pulls the baby out or assists the mother to yeah. pick the baby out. But I've also seen like other women in different positions standing up or squatting. Yep. Um, and then also w- water births. Huh? 
Yeah. So I'm curious on your take on both of those biomechanically and health wise, your thoughts on those. I mean, from, I, re- I did a lot of reading and research while I was pregnant um, on more from like the midwifery lens. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it comes back time and time again that laboring on your back is like the least efficient thing you can that's, do. That's what I've read too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so one of my best friends is an OB-GYN and um, I, you know, I'm over, I had been over in my little corner, like totally anti-conventional medicine and hospital birth and in talking to her and, and getting to actually watch her, like the new generation of OB-GYNs, at least from what I've experienced is much more open and accepting okay. and able to collaborate and um, kind of integrate all of these different perspectives oh, or at least my good. friend is I mean that's kind of an yeah. end of one issue but you know um <laughs> she's wonderful <laughs> um so yes when you think about labor in a hospital and what you've seen on movies and television it's always a woman on her back with her legs up in in stirrups called lithotomy position and it, it suppose it has been shown to increase the risk of tearing and difficulties delivering the baby. Um, we have shown that delivering in a squat position or all fours, kind of like cat cow position. Um, it's just, it's in terms of body mechanics, it's much more um, physically in line with opening up the body so the baby can come out more smoothly. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> but, but when we're in the hospital, you know, a lot of the times, um, there's an epidural involved. It's harder to move. There are some amazing nurses and doctors out there who will work with you to get you in an upright position. Um, so that you can, even with an epidural, even though you can't move your legs or feel them, they will still help you get into a more natural birthing position. So again, it's like, it's really looking at, you know, where you're going to give birth. What is their philosophy? How does it compare to yours? Um, looking at your care provider specifically, you know, are they in alignment? Do they have a really high C-section? You know, just looking at what your values are and how the place and the person, how those fit in to where you're at and making sure that they're not conflicting. And if they are, there is no reason why you have to stay. You can get out of that relationship at any time. I started with a bad relationship with a uh, MFM doctor, a maternal fetal medicine doctor, because I do have lupus. And so we were doing some, some monitoring there. And before I said a word to him, he said, I advocate for inducing you at 37 weeks. And I said, thank you so much. I'm I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) And then I found a great MFM. He was like, okay, that's cool. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll just monitor you. I was like, thank cool. you. Thank you for listening. And actually like, yeah. Me. <laughs> well, actually it leads me to a question because you mentioned your lupus and stuff. And I know there's an increasing number of females with autoimmune disorders. Right. Like I don't, I don't even think it's, they're, they're just being diagnosed more. Uh, uh, there's better diagnostics. I think just seemingly there's more women who are unfortunately dealing with that, that problem, globally speaking. Um, and they're young and they're, yeah in the prime of their life and they're still like you they get pregnant you know so do you work with women specifically who have autoimmune disorders yeah and that's actually yeah that's where i initially started coaching and consulting was autoimmune disease 
I had wanted to start with preconception, um, had some confidence issues there because I hadn't had my own baby and I hadn't actually experienced mm -hmm. that. Um, so I did end up working with autoimmune clients for a couple of years. Um, and I learned a lot. Um, I had some awesome clients, um, and also had my own experiences there. So yeah, I feel really, um, really well prepared, really well equipped to help women with autoimmune disease specifically, Good. um, Good. to help, I can't say manage because I'm not a physician, but yeah. to help, mm -hmm. you know, navigate that journey. Yeah. Right. Good. And, and I mean, yeah. my focus is definitely preconception, but that still encompasses all manner of health states. Um, right. Uh, metabolic issues, autoimmune issues, thyroid issues, you know, it's still, they're still all out there. They still all need to be addressed. Um, that's just and my population. Yeah. And speaking of, you mentioned epigenetics before, and I'm curious, you know, because when I read the, your introduction, talked about that, you, know, you see the, the importance of the connection between the, the environment right. and the environment inside one and the environment outside of one. And I'm curious, you know, especially with the increasing number of, of females and human beings who are getting autoimmune disorders, how do you take into consideration environmental factors when you work with a couple preconceptually? I mean, so that is, that is a huge piece. And I go back and forth on where I kind of put that in my programs because yeah, which, which piece do you touch on first? And it really depends on the person and their goals. Um, and also their epigenetics, like if they have a lot of space for optimization, for support in their like detoxification pathways. And when I say detoxification pathways, I mean like physiological liver detoxification, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> Not trendy detox kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Um, so, you know, it really depends on the individual. They're also important. They all are part of the, the human system. Um, and when I say when they all, I mean, nutrition, sleep, yeah. micronutrients, it really just depends on where they're at and what they need. So it, it just kind of depends, but personally yeah. I make a huge effort to try to remove unnecessary environmental exposures from my life. Nice. Um, in terms of, you know, body care products, cleaning my food, my water and, like particularly that's a huge one um so yeah it's all connected <laughs> it, it is <laughs> and it's unfortunate that more people aren't like you and seeing the connections in the systems you know it's like the gaic system or the, the complex adaptive system called the earth and the yeah. human system very similar and you know yeah, as above so below as in and out it's, it's, yeah. yeah and unfortunately in seemingly western conventional medicine is we don't even recognize the systems. We just like went an right. organ, <laughs> maybe. It's all so siloed. Or a small aspect of the individual human being. Yeah. yeah. No context. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the context piece. Really just taking the person. And that's where, you know, I've, I did some of my training with um, the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, which is part of IFM, which is the big um, body for functional medicine education. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a lot of respect for that training and for those institutions. And I also am in alignment with Dr. Stickler about, yeah. you know, 
root causes. There is no one root cause, right? Yeah. <laughs> we always go back to that. There's no one root cause. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> yeah, he broke me with that paradigm last three right. or two years ago. <laughs> exactly. I've been saying it forever. It's <laughs> not Same. true. Damn. No, it's Damn. it's we're, it's systems. It's system complex systems approach. We're, we are yes. all systems in ourselves within larger systems, within yeah. larger systems, within larger systems. Exactly. Cool. So where can people learn more about your work and uh, reach out to you to get some education from you and some yeah. coaching and things like that? Um, so my website is hand, like handwellness.com. <laughs> um, and you can also find me kind of sporadically on social media. At, um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Oh, at, that's uh, good. That's good. at Hand Wellness. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook. Well, I'll make sure to include all that in the show notes. Thanks. Appreciate and, it. Uh, yeah. And as you get more followers, it means you have to be more active on those platforms, which I know. Kind of sucks. <laughs> but yeah, you know, oh, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Abby, thank you for your time. Thanks so much. It's an honor. Yeah. And I enjoyed the conversation. I definitely encourage folks who are preconception planning to reach out to you and get a consult. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thanks.